Mac Power Users, episode 512, Ask the Genius. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Mr. Hackett. Welcome to episode 512. <laughs> this, is, this is funny. We're going to get in, into this. Uh, but I have to say, if if people didn't check out our developer roundtable last week's episode, uh, I'm really proud of how that came out. I think we had a really good conversation. It's a little weird just to have two of us after having five people on the call yeah. last week. <laughs> A little easier to. <laughs> a little easier to put together. Um, but if you haven't checked that episode out, I would encourage it. I was, I think we really covered some good ground with those guys last week. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they were just so, you know, the reason we picked those three is they're just, they've been doing it for years. They're super honest. And, you know, it's good to know as users, as power users, what is really kind of going on with the Mac and iOS software business. And it sounds like they're doing pretty good. I think so. And, you know, it's it's funny like the Omni Group, they have guys there who like worked on Next Step. I mean, it's yeah, they've really been in this business a long time. All all three of those companies, and um, I don't know. I just I, I just as we we're recording this, I just finished the edit of it, and I was just real happy with it. So I wanted to encourage people to go check that out. Well, I want to tell you that before you became a co-host of Mac Power Users, we've got this big uh, spreadsheet with uh, all the future episodes, and occasionally there's like a note and. Uh, like a future episode, like I'm looking at right now, it says episode 800. I'm supposed to tell everybody why my wife thought I was a, mm-hmm. a bozo the first time she met me. I don't even know what that comes out of, but at some point that came up. Yep. And I said I'd explain it on episode 800. Uh, before you became co host, episode 512 said Stephen Hackett next to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we got this episode 512. Well, guess what? I mean, you're already on the show, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Surprise, I'm on this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so, um, uh, you know, you have the website 512pixels.net. I remember, I think we talked about this at episode 256 of MPU, but uh, explain why 512 is relevant. So the original Macintosh, you know, a little, uh, little cute little 1984 computer with the handle, uh, its screen resolution was 500, 512 pixels across. And that ended up making the DPI 72 DPI. And it was just a kind of a, it defined the Mac experience for a really long time. That that line of compact Macs lasted quite a while. Uh, it was a nerdy reference. Um, I also have some design stuff in my background. So I kind of like that it was sort of, sort of sounded designy, but it was this obscure thing about the original Mac. There's a funny thing that I didn't realize at the time when I named the blog that is that when you subscribe to 512, in your RSS feeder or on YouTube, I'm either always at the top or the very bottom of the list, depending on if the system puts numbers before or after letters. And so sometimes yeah. I get comments of like, oh, like you're always on top of my YouTube subscriber list. Like that was really clever naming. It's like, that was an accident. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't really consider that when I named the blog that, uh, you know, years and years ago, but it's a, it's a funny side effect. Yeah. Well, it's cool, though. And and so this has always been the episode for Steven. And we were talking about it, I think, at one of the times we were together earlier this year. And we came up with the idea, why don't we make it about your experience as an Apple genius? And 
just have an Ask the Genius episode. We're going to test it out this time. Maybe we'll do some more of these later if everybody likes it. But I thought it'd be fun to uh, have you wear your genius hat. I know it's a little dusty. It is. Got to got to get it out. Got to get your little Apple t-shirt out of the closet mm-hmm. and put it on today. And we could talk about uh, the experience of being a genius and maybe some sure. tips for listeners that need to make genius appointments. And also maybe... And what I'd really like to do is talk through some of the troubleshooting we can do at home before we go to the Genius Bar. That sounds great. So uh, we save people trips. For me, it's easy. I'm like 15 minutes away, but I know a lot of folks are much further away from an Apple store than that. Yeah. For a long time, my Apple store here in Memphis, which is actually out in the suburbs, it was the only one, not only for this part of Tennessee, but there weren't any in Arkansas or Mississippi. And so we had people who would drive hours to come see us. And when I had to tell them, oh, I I don't don't have time for you today, or I need a part that's, I got to order, I can't fix your power book for six or seven days, you know, that was a big deal. And so it it has gotten better. Of course, Apple announced just this year, uh, a, a big partnership with Best Buy to have their people trained the same way geniuses are trained, and being able to help customers through a bunch of Best Buy stores. Not every Best Buy, but a, a lot of Best Buys. And uh, so that's a, that's a good thing, too. And of course, there's always phone and online service and that sort of thing. Uh, to get back to to my background a little bit, I, I will say it's been <laughs> it's been a long time since I was genius. In fact, you ad lib for a second. I'm going to go pull my certification. I have it up on a shelf. Let me get it. All right. Um, I'm going to leave this in. Okay. Well, now I need to talk about something. <laughs> I'm going on vacation as soon as we get done All recording right. today. So I had to pull it off the wall. I woke up today at 6 a.m. to podcast at 7 a.m. And then <laughs> I'm literally going on vacation. So I'm feeling pretty good right now. The Aloha <laughs> spirit is strong. <laughs> feeling alive. I'm going to jump out of an airplane in a few days, so this may be my last podcast. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, they give you a parachute, so like, yeah, let's dial the back the drama a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I was cert- certified as a Mac genius uh, in Cupertino, uh, October 19th, 2007, so it's been a minute. Yeah. But I, I started at the Apple Store in the holiday season of 2006 for a really simple reason. Uh, I was working at my college paper, but I needed to pay off my wife's engagement ring <laughs> and, like, yeah, that's uh, good and uh, another guy at the newspaper who was a really good friend of mine, actually my brother's roommate for a long time. Uh, he was working at the Apple store and just as a salesperson and got me on as a, as a salesperson for the holidays. And this was back in the days where basically the iPod was like the best Christmas present you could, you could hope for. I think this year it's AirPods, but then, you know, back then it was, it was an iPod yeah. and to keep the iPod people, sort of moving through the store quickly, they'd have this bay on the side of the store. You stream in and you get your iPod. So I had like hundreds of iPods behind me. And basically I just sold iPods for like six hours at a time. It was awesome. Just like stacks and stacks of iPods Mm -hmm. and a a few Macs. There wasn't a whole lot of Mm -mm. Macs back then. A lot of iPods getting sold at Christmas 2006. But very quickly I, I was offered to stay on as a salesperson and I was already sort of techie. I was doing tech support at the college paper and... Uh, through a few conversations, I became uh, a Mac genius, went to training at Apple's campus in the fall of 2007, and uh, then came back and very quickly was promoted to like lead, lead genius because our lead genius uh, left the store. Actually, I think when I was in training and 
it was a very small store. There were only three or four geniuses at the time, and and I, for whatever reason, uh, was promoted to lead. And I stayed there a couple of years, and then went and worked at an Apple authorized service provider for a few years, and then then sort of more general IT. Uh, so that's kind of my my arc there. Must have been exciting going to the campus for training. It was super cool. The the genius training was right around the corner from Infinite Loop, and we got to have lunch on campus. And I was like trying to get a Snapple out of this, like you know, like those. It's not like a soda machine, but you know, it's like a it's got racks, and you just open the door and pick the, the drink you want. You know, like in a cafeteria. Yeah. I was yeah. like going for like this like peach tea Snapple, and Phil Schiller swooped in like a hawk and like cut in line in front of me and took it. And then I almost said something, and then I realized who it was, and I kept my mouth shut. So yeah, what are you going to say? Uh, meet Phil Schiller and be like, "Hey, how was that Snapple? Do you enjoy it?" <laughs> I was thirsty. So that, you know, Phil Schiller and I are basically, I think, mortal en- enemies. Things seems like a lot of things go down in that in that old cafeteria at Infinite Loop. I mean, it's such a it was such a cool idea, and it, I mean, Apple was one of the first ones to do it. Now, lots of companies do it. Where, like, you have a place where all sorts of employees mix and mingle. And I think that's important. You know, famously, Steve Jobs helped design the Pixar campus with that in mind. So people who don't work near each other end up seeing each other and running into each other. I think that's uh, a very clever idea. Yeah, Sal Segoin was talking to me about it once, and he was ta- telling me how he would always bump into Steve in in the uh, cafeteria and steve would always call him al every time and he'd always want something you know mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know it was steve jobs and and he was convinced that like five guys got fired from apple named al and they really have no idea why <laughs> <laughs> anyway so you went out to apple you got your training you head back and then you were in you're in the trenches for a couple of years yeah um, do you have a picture of yourself in your uh, in your genius attire? At yeah, any point? I'll find something for the show notes. All right, we'll put it in the show notes. Also, put in the newsletter. Uh, I need to be good about putting links in the show notes to sign up for the newsletter. I'm getting lots of people telling me how they like getting the newsletter every week. It's a free thing. It's just like if you want to get all the links and stuff in your in your mailbox, we can do it for you. But anyway, we get a picture of Stephen in, in the um, in the show notes. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk about, uh, for listeners, going to the Genius Bar. Uh, one of the things I always get from uh, listeners of the show, they write me with their problem, and sometimes they'll tell me something that is seems very specific to their device, and quite often I'll write them back, say, so maybe you should just go to the uh, the Genius Bar and have them check it out. You know, they can connect diagnostics to it over email. I don't know what's going on with your machine, you know. And the question that often they write me back, say, well, I just don't want to sh- show up and seem like I'm asking a dumb question. Mm-hmm. Um that I think is kind of unique to MPU listeners. Um, should people have any hesitation to go see an Apple Genius? No, I mean they are there to be helpful. They are. While I have complaints about how the Apple Store on the whole operates, uh, geniuses are trained. They they for the most part know what they're doing, and they really are there because they want to help people with Apple products. Look, it is not the high. It's it's a good it's a good paying job for retail. But if you want to work in Mac IT, you can make a lot more money somewhere else. They are there because they want to be, for the most part. And I think that, you know, on the whole, they want you to have a good experience. And there are things that you can do to make that more more possible and easier for them to, to let that happen. But I don't think you should be worried that, you know, you're going to get laughed out of the store or anything. Yeah. One, one of the pieces of advice I'd give is if your Mac or your Apple device starts having problems – 
start taking notes about what the problem was and what you've done to fix it. So when you're there, if you show up with notes, it, I don't know, it just seems like they take you more seriously. I, I've shown up several times with notes and then they'll read them over and they'll know that I did the troubleshooting. And we're going to explain what the troubleshooting is during the course of this episode. But if you do that stuff in advance, that really helps, I think, make the appointment go faster and helps them usually get to the bottom of it faster. Uh, I will say I'm putting a photo in the show notes. I found one <laughs> where I dropped the cover glass off an iMac. Uh, okay. So that, that'll be <laughs> that'll be in the show notes. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you didn't share that one before you did the uh, thing over at MacStock where... <laughs> yeah. Well, well, now the glasses adhere to the display. So, you know, you got to drop yeah. the screen. That's harder. That, that better be more dramatic, I think, if you did. It would, it would be, be a lot more people watching, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think having notes, having an understanding of what's happening, but in a way that is not... Uh, assuming what the issue is, I think a lot of a lot of technical people, a lot of geniuses, uh, including a couple who worked for me, really sort of got turned off if someone said, "This is what my computer's doing wrong. I need you to do this." And, and in some cases, oh, yeah. that's helpful. But going in with like, "Hey, this is my experience. Uh, this is what I'm seeing," and and sort of, you know, the, the goofy retail term is like partner with your customer or whatever. But really coming alongside somebody and trying to understand it together uh, is useful and. Yeah, notes are helpful with that. Uh, understanding if it's something that is intermittent, you know, can you do things to cause it? Can you do things where it doesn't happen? Just trying to understand what's going on uh, can be a big deal and it can really help expedi- uh, like help the experience speed along. Yeah, it's like going to the doctor, never self-diagnose, you know. You should know what's going on, but maybe don't spend the night before reading WebMD. Yeah. But the, uh, but I I think what the the point is, is you document the problem and the steps you've taken. And to me, the experience I've had with telling the steps I've taken, it it tells them that I'm not a complete bozo. So they can talk to me like a grown up about what they're doing and what they think may need need to be happening. You know, Um, the other thing I would say, and this is something that has kind of changed over time for years, I would always recommend making an appointment. I don't know if you should make an appointment now. It seems like when you make an appointment, you still have delays when you get in. Um, I guess they're saving empty space for walk-ins now. Uh, But to be honest, I would just make an appointment. I don't know. Do you have advice on that at this point? I would still say make an appointment if, if possible. Apple has changed this so much over the years. They were even changing it when I was there of the ratio between fixed appointments and walk-ins. And sometimes it was up to me as the, as the team lead to set that of like, okay, if there's like, if it feels like there's something going on in the community, like maybe it's after a Mac OS update, I need to have more Mac appointments than iPod appointments. You know, it just, yeah, we could change that. I don't, I don't know how much flexibility the stores have now, but I, I would say that if you make an appointment, you will be seen, even if it's a little bit behind schedule. But if you don't make one, I don't know if the Apple store can promise you that. So especially if you're traveling, you know, if it's if it's if it's like you where it's down the street, yeah, pop in and, and if you can't do it today, maybe you can do it tomorrow. But if you're driving, you know, if you're if you're taking mass transit, if if it's a tr- trip, I would say make an appointment and at the very least you'll know that you'll have a spot. Like I said, even if they're they're running behind, uh, it means that your name is on a list somewhere and and uh, you know, everyone's had those emergency situations and, and yeah, if something is like dire and you need to go in, yeah, go in. But 
I would say if it's in your control, setting an appointment at least makes things a little bit smoother for everybody. But I definitely bring something to keep yourself busy. Bring uh, a book. There's a good chance. Yeah, you'll be, be waiting. Uh, you know, the iPhone solves that problem unless you're in there because your iPhone's not working. That's true. I actually had that uh, last year. I broke a phone. I know that seems so out of character for me. And I dropped it off and it was going to be a couple hours. So I went to like the Whole Foods down the street. They have Wi-Fi. I had my MacBook Pro. I was like, oh, I'll get some work done. And it's amazing how many times I reach for my phone to do something. It's like, oh, yeah. right, I don't have that on yeah. me. <laughs> it's yeah. not actually here. Um, but, yeah, just knowing that they're going to be a little bit behind, being patient. You know, if you're – it's just like any other retail experience, right? If you, as the customer, you set the tone for the interaction, right? If you come in and you're upset and you're – you know, being rude or pushy, like that's going to turn anybody off. And you're, you know, you are there to be helped. They're there to serve as employees of Apple, but it's a relationship. It is a discussion. It's two humans dealing with something. And so keeping your cool, kind of having it together, and that goes a long way in any interaction, right? That's not just true with the Genius Bar. That's true at the DMV or at the doctor's office or anywhere else that has a waiting room. Yeah, I, I always do that with people. I mean, first of all, that's just kind of my nature. I like to be nice to people. I like people to be nice to me. I don't, yeah. you know, but the uh, when I was doing more trial work, I would always go into court the day before trial would start or the week before. And I'd want to plug in all my gear, you know, and I'd talk to the reporters and the, the court staff to say, it's okay if I come in and find some afternoon, I could do it. And it gave me a chance to get to know them as well. And I had, to, I remember this one case where I went in and so I was making friends with them and doing stuff. And the other attorney on the other side was a complete bozo. And, and he was really hard on the staff. And I'm thinking, don't you understand? They all go back in that little room where the judges and they all talk, you mm -hmm. know, you can't do that to people. And in that case, I, I had a big win in that case, and we were afraid that the defendant was going to run off with the money. He was a, a foreign national. And the uh, as soon as the jury came back, um, I asked the court reporter or the court clerk, I said, when can I come back? I want to get a, a writ so I can lock up the bank accounts. And she's like, uh, well, I'm going to do it over my lunch hour for you and just come back at one and it'll be done. Awesome. <laughs> and I was thinking, I yeah. have a pretty good idea why that happened. <laughs> yeah. And geniuses operate in a, a gray area to a degree, right? There are hard and fast rules yeah. about if there's damage, it costs as much and that sort of thing. But there there are areas where a genius could can go out of their way uh, to comp a repair, discount a repair, help you. Uh, again, that leeway is less than it was when I was there. In fact, my, <laughs> this is terrible. My very last appointment ever as a Mac genius. Yeah. And I had senioritis real bad, David, like real yeah, bad. Yeah, I bet you did. But I bet you did. <laughs> anyone would. But a woman came in on an iPod appointment, which at the time were shorter than Mac appointments. And, you know, it was like an iPod Nano. It was out of warranty, but it was acting crazy. So I just, I just comped the, the, replacement. It wasn't real far out of warranty, so I just kind of did it. And then she's like, oh, but I also have my iBook here. And it's, I forget what it was doing. And I, it was definitely out of warranty. It was definitely a paid repair. And she was really nice. She was like, I'm sorry, I just made an iPod appointment, but this happened today and I brought it with me if you have time. She's very nice about it. Yeah. And I said, sure. You know, I said, actually, well, you're my last customer. And she said, oh, like, are you, are you off for the day? I was like, no, no, no. Like, Stick You're around, they're going to clap customer. me out in a second. Like, you yeah. are my last customer as a, as a genius. Yeah. And, you know, she asked what I was doing, and I told her, you know, I was going to start this app authorized service provider business. 
and I, <laughs> I comped the iBook repair, which was like okay. hundreds of dollars. Like that's you know, she was yeah. really nice. It was my last one. If anyone was going to be mad about it, it was a store manager who didn't like me anyway. So yeah, well, you know, here you go. Not every genius has that power, right? Um, I was a manager or team lead, excuse me, and it was my last one. I didn't care, but. Being nice, just like you said, like that's just good human practice, right? Like that's just good to p- do to our other human beings walking around this earth. But in a retail environment, it has real benefits sometimes. So I think, you know, coming in and, and trying with the idea of, hey, we're going to partner together to fix this. Again, that's cheesy Apple corporate language, but I say it because I still believe that it's true. There are people, lots of people, most people in Apple retail want to have that experience with their customers. So um, let them do their jobs in, in that way is what I would say. Yeah, but I, I do think that they are less; they have less freedom to do that now. I think than so they too. Used to. Yes, but be nice. Get what you can. The stores are, I mean, way way bigger and and way busier than they were in my day. Right, like I, I left the fall after the iPhone three G came out. Right, like it was a different company then. Yeah. And the iPhone is a big reason why I left the Genius Bar. I mean, starting that ASP was a huge opportunity for me, but. I didn't – I could see where it was going and I didn't want just to be dealing with like replacing iPhones all day. I wanted to do Mac troubleshooting, which we're going to talk about next. Uh, but even that has gotten harder over the years as the Macs have gotten <laughs> both more complex and more simple at the same time. Yeah. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox, the <laughs> the service that that honestly makes my email manageable. So here's how it works. You sign up for SaneBox. You give them your email address, and this all takes place on their side. So you're not running like a Mac app that has to run all the time, and then your iPhone doesn't see it. This all happens uh, before mail gets to your devices. And what it does is it's learning what email is important to you and filters out what isn't. And it works with all kinds of email programs, all types of services. You know, if you go on that email app, Spiritual Quest, SaneBox will be right there with you as you try different mail apps. And it offers genuinely good email filtering. A couple of the folders that I use all the time are Sane Later and Sane Black Hole. So Sane Later keeps your inbox clean and anything else that is not normally in your inbox or doesn't seem as important gets put in that Sane Later folder. So I can go in there, you know, once a day, uh, a couple times a week even, and see what's in there. And it's stuff that, yeah, I need to know about, but it's not urgent. And SaneBox just knows what I want over time. But then there's the same black hole. If you get your email on some sort of newsletter and there's not an unsubscribe button or you've unsubscribed and you still get them or it's that PR person who won't leave you alone, you can drag them into the same black hole and you quite simply will never see email from them again. And it's wonderful as someone who gets a lot of unwarranted, unwanted email. There's also really clever things around snoozing and reminders. So if it's the end of the work week and you want something at the top of your inbox on Monday, you can drag it into that snooze folder and it'll come back. And the reminders is really neat too. You can carbon copy, uh, for instance, one week at samebox.com. And if the receiver hasn't replied, you'll get a reminder in one week to follow up. So you don't have to to go over to OmniFocus or something else and add it. It just all kind of stays within your email system. Samebox has various pricing plans that start as low as about $4 a month, and there's a 14-day free trial. I definitely recommend checking that out because two-thirds of MPU listeners who have tried Samebox end up subscribing, so I bet you're going to love it. 
head on over to sanebox.com slash MPU to receive a $25 credit towards any plan. Once again, that's sanebox.com slash MPU. Check out the 14-day free trial and receive $25 credit on any plan. Our thanks to Sanebox for their support of the show and making our email more manageable. All right, I'd like to spend some time talking about your Mac. When things start going wrong with your Mac, what are some of the steps we can take to uh, maybe fix it ourselves or at least have a, have a knowledge that we did everything we could before we went into the genius? There's always some really easy things to do. There's the golden rule of all technology. Yeah. Restart it, right? If if there's something funny going on, uh, a simple it's amazing what a reboot will do. Uh, that's true for any device. We're going to talk about it again when we talk about iOS devices. It works for printers. It works for routers. Basically anything. If something squirrely is going on, hey, restart it. Sometimes that's all it takes. It's an interesting thing for Apple device users because... I think they work and they run so long that a lot of people don't think about when about think about restarting it. I think it's true with both iPhones and Macs. Yeah. Where, so my iMac Pro, I just looked it up, uh, has not been rebooted in 23 days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but there's other people that it's like much longer, you know, like six months kind of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. I'm sure my Mac mini server is even longer. Yeah, that's kind of strange, right? And a lot of people shut down the machines every night. I mean, uh, that, I just let mine sleep. I don't have any real strong feelings either way on that, but a reboot never hurt anybody. It just takes a few minutes, if that. If you have an SSD Mac, it takes like 30 seconds. Yeah. And it's a miracle what it can fix. Yeah. I I routinely reboot before I record a podcast. And it's, I think maybe it's a throwing salt over your shoulder kind of thing, but why not? You know, just kind of clear the system out, reboot. You know, and, and, you know, knock on wood, I haven't lost a recording yet. Uh, another thing that is just on the list of obvious things to check is make sure that you're up to date. So if you're having an issue with a certain application or a certain feature of Mac OS, you know, run software update and system preferences, go to the Mac app store, make sure it's up to date. If it's a third party app, you go to their website and see if there's uh, an update. I just had a family member update to Mac OS Catalina and... An app that they use, which is 64-bit, so it, it runs on Catalina, was like acting a little funny. I was like, hey, uh, here's the developer's website. It looks like they have an update, and just make sure you've installed that. And sure enough, it fixed it. So there's little compatibility issues if an app is crashing or if app is hanging or something like that or just not doing what you expect. There may very well be a fix out for it that takes care of it. And and there may not be. You know, Something else I would add to this is if you're on Twitter or, or a developer has a Facebook page or a forum – like, do a little homework. Maybe other people are seeing this issue, and so you can let the developer know, hey, I'm on Catalina. I'm seeing this. You know, Do you have an update coming? They may already know about it, or they may not. But those little simple things can go a long way. I mean, seriously, I don't know how many times like a software update has, has taken care of something or a reboot has taken care of something. Uh, for me, you know, I still do some consulting for my clients. Uh, it's, it's those simple things that can go a long way. Yeah, and unless you're having like a hardware problem if this is some kind of bug i think almost every time you're going to find if it is a bug that people have already documented it out there somewhere and do a search on the web and you know include enough specific terms one of the tricks i do is if i'm getting like an error message in a google search i will put the actual error message in quotes and google will then search for those exact words in that exact order and very quickly, I often find a thread on the Apple forums or maybe a software developers forums 
or even just like Mac Rumors forums, uh, or a couple times it's it's come the Mac Power Users forums have mm-hmm. come up in those answers. Um, so, but you'll you'll find a forum thread somewhere where people are also addressing it, and it helps to know you're not alone. And also, a lot of times that'll save you a trip to the Genius Bar, like when you find out, oh, this this one software has this weird bug, and they're working on it. It's not my Mac. I don't need to bring it in. I just need to wait for them to get it done. Uh, like you said, uh, sending a note to the developer. You don't have to be a famous podcaster if there is such a thing, um, but you can just send it, anybody can send a note to the developer and say, "Hey, I'm you know I'm in the software. I I got caught by this bug. If you've got a beta fix, I'd love to get in on that." You know, and and quite often they're happy to send it to you. And the Genius Bar is not super equipped to deal with a lot of third party software, right? So I'm just gonna um, I'm gonna pick on Transmit just because it's in my doc and I can see it. You know, if you're in trouble with Transmit, like okay. the Genius Bar, I mean, if they have time and, and it's someone who's kind of into the Mac, maybe they could help troubleshoot it. But reaching out to the developer panic is what I would do before making a Genius Bar appointment, right? So kind of remember, like, the, the purview of the Genius Bar isn't unlimited. They, they do have a set number of things they're prepared to deal with. And they haven't seen every third-party app and every configuration people have. And they can maybe help figure it out. But doing some of that on your own could save you a trip to the mall. Yeah, and it's really going to solve the problem. So so that's something to be on the lookout for. Uh, another thing uh, that I would say, if you're dealing with a software issue, particular in, in a certain application, so uh, let's take let's take Mail and say that Mail is, uh, is crashing at launch. That's a pretty common issue uh, as far as Mac apps go, not Mail specifically. It's like an app is not doing what it's supposed to do. Maybe it's got a database and it can't open it or something like that. Something that's nerdy but pretty easy to do is to go into system preferences and go into the users panel and create a new local administrator. So you can make it, you know, test admin, log out of your user, log into that user, and try to recreate it. So in my example that mail crashes at launch, well, if I make a test admin user and mail doesn't crash, that tells me something. It tells me that Mac OS and the mail application, they're fine because it can launch on this computer, but there's something in my user account, something in my user folder that's preventing it from launching. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. And so then you know where to look. You know to look in your user library, which is hidden by default in, <laughs> in Finder now, uh, but you can get to it a bunch of different ways. You can hold down the... Um, uh, Option. Option button uh, under the go menu, or you can go to go to folder and, you know, it's it's tilde slash library and mail has a folder in there. And you could drag that to your desktop and see if mail relaunches. You can you can start trying to find where the problem is a, a really good general troubleshooting tip. And this this goes far beyond computers, right? You have a problem in your house with your car. If you can have if you can cut in half the possible solutions and keep doing that, you will find what's wrong. So say that you drag the entire mail folder to your library and mail launches. Well, put it back and take out a subfolder or take out half of its preferences files. Work your way down, and it can really solve uh, a bunch of issues. And that takes some time, but it probably takes less time than boxing up your Mac mini and taking it to the Apple store. (laughs) And it it teaches you something about how the Mac works. Your user library folder has tons of little files that apps on your account look at. So in mail, it's all your email messages, all your account data. All these apps also have little files in the library 
preferences folder. And they're named funny things like com.apple.mail.something. Pull those out to your desktop. Relaunch mail. Does that fix it? You can begin to see where the problem is. And sometimes it's just that a plist file, which is what those preferences files are called, they're .plist. It could be that one of those is bad, that it's gotten corrupted or gotten funky and you can remove it. You may have to reset up your mail accounts, but then you're you're good to go. So doing some of that local testing, a test admin user, digging in your, your library folder, your user library folder specifically, that can solve a lot of software issues if you're willing to take the time and and sort of um, see what's going on there. Yeah. And, and as power users, you're going to be downloading and testing different software, trying things out. And a lot of times it is that act that unfortunately can create the conflicts that causes little problems. Just recently I had a thing on my Mac when uh, I would hit the command space. Rather, I would get a spotlight search, but I would also open up Ulysses and create oh, yeah. a new note. We talked about this. Did you find it, what it was? Oh, yeah. It was just it was a keyboard maestro script. It was just I had – I just sorted by um, shortcut and keyboard maestro. And when I made the keyboard maestro field guide, I'm working on the update right now. Somehow I accidentally added command space as a trigger for one of the Ulysses scripts. So this is actually a different problem than the one we talked about, but you know, it's just, you know, it's my life, right? <laughs> you know, and, uh, but I had a pretty good idea what was going on because I mean, it was very specific action. It was a scripting action. You know, Lissy's was launching and was creating a new note. Well, the only place I do that is keyboard maestro. So I just had an errant script that got a trigger somehow in the process of me recording an updated screencast. So, you know, stuff like that happens. And and if you're, like I said, if you're listening to the show, you're, you're downloading testing software. Mail's a good example because, you know, we're all trying out different mail solutions. Nobody's really happy with an email solution, but sometimes you get some cruft in the system. Mm-hmm. And when you take those plist files out and put them on the desktop, uh, mail or any Apple app will create new ones when it launches. Right. Um, so it, it gets like a clean version. And like Steven said, sometimes that means you lose your preferences, but if that's all it takes to fix it, it, it feels pretty good. Yeah. And I, I've seen all sorts of issues over the years be fixed by that sort of simple troubleshooting. And again, you're, you've saved your tri- uh, yourself to a store. So one thing you should do if you're listening and you haven't done is you should have a separate admin account on your device. Uh, I don't keep one, but I'm willing to create one if something comes up. So like on my two Macs, I just have my single administrator user. On my laptop, I have a guest user as well. But uh, I don't don't keep one around. But if I have something funny going on, that's always an early thing that I try because it will tell you very quickly – is the operating system broken? Is the app broken? Or is something in my user folder gotten funny? And it's a very simple way to, to find that out. For, for a long time, the logic was you should run your main account on a non-admin account. Yeah. I've never done that. I always just set mine up as admin. I'm a big boy. I'm yeah, okay. I mean, I th- if you're listening to MPU, you can handle it. But, you know, if you've got a family member who gets into trouble easily, that's not the worst idea in the world. Um, yeah. You can even give them the admin password so they can authenticate as the admin to install something if you trust them that much. But yeah, I don't do that either. I, I feel like I can I can handle myself. Uh, a couple of other things that I want to talk about uh, with the Mac software is resetting account passwords and reinstalling Mac OS. So I have some uh, – I can't believe it's taking this long to say this. Uh, we have some knowledge-based articles <laughs> in the show notes to walk you through this. Yeah, we'll just hit the bell a bunch of times. 
resetting an account password, you know, people forget them. Uh, family members forget them. Friends forget them. There are a couple of different ways to do this, depending on exactly how, how they have their machine set up. The sort of if if no one knows what it is, you can go all the way out to the system recovery tool, which is new-ish on the Mac. It's been around a while now since Lion or Mountain Lion or something, but uh, that will also let you reinstall Mac OS. So if if it just seems like you need to reinstall the operating system, there are a couple of different ways you can do that. The Mac OS recovery mode. You can reinstall the latest version of macOS that was installed on your Mac. So if you're running Catalina, you can reinstall Catalina. You can upgrade to the latest macOS that's compatible with your Mac. So I am on Mojave, but I want to reinstall and I want to put Catalina on it. Or you can even reinstall the version of macOS that came with your Mac originally or the closest that you can get. So if your Mac came with Sierra and you want to make it like new, you can do that all through the internet recovery. It depends on what keys you hold, you're holding down as you power on the computer, which one of those happens. So go check out that um, that support document because it, it's very helpful. It downloads it from, from the internet and, and you're good to go. I had a family member once who forgot her password for her Mac and I spent an entire day getting it put back together just like you described. I had to go all the way back to the beginning to get that thing working. I was so mad. Yeah. It's, it's a bummer. Uh, and if you reset the password, a bunch of their apps and stuff are going to lose their passwords because the way the keychain yes. works. So like it's a situation, but, uh, it is doable. Well, one piece of advice I'd give if you have someone like that in your life that actually could forget their computer password. <laughs> I, when we were done, I said, look, it's all good. We got it fixed, but I want. I opened up a note in One Password. Wrote her name at the top. I said, "All right, give me all of your passwords right now." Mm-hmm. And I wrote them all down, and it's saved behind the One Password vault. and And I'm like, I'm now the keeper of your passwords because you cannot be trusted. Yep, I have uh, several family members' passwords in One Password for that yeah. very reason. And you know, if you're yeah. the nerd in the family, and if you're listening in MPU, you probably are. That's yeah, that's a are. reasonable use of One Password. <laughs> Getting, um, getting back to reinstalling the OS real quick to round this yeah. out. If you're on a slow internet connection or you find yourself doing it a lot, um, so I, I this is me, my case, where I do this a lot, I have made USB installers of a bunch of different macOS versions. There's a, a utility called Disk Maker 10. There's others of these. I like this one, but there's there's others. And basically you install the OS and then you plug in a USB drive and it uses AppleScript and some stuff to make that USB drive an installer. So you could reinstall Mojave from USB and it goes way faster than having to download it on someone's DSL. So if you if you do this a lot, it, this is a good thing to do. If you're just a regular user, I don't think you have to run out and do this unless you just want to. But I like having versions of macOS on USB keys so I can I can install them at will. Yeah, I mean, Apple used to give you disks, and then I think for a couple of Macs, um, the original MacBook Air of memory serves, they gave it to you on a thumb drive. Yeah, the coolest USB thumb drive ever. Yeah, <laughs> but the um, uh, but now they make you download it. So if you haven't got it on, you know, installers created, another piece of advice I'd give you is this is the one time to plug into Ethernet, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't use your Wi-Fi. If you've got an Ethernet adapter with a laptop or if you've got a computer with an Ethernet jack on the back of it, um, put your computer somewhere near that hub and plug it in. 
So let's talk about uh, hardware a little bit. This is, like I said, more complicated and more simple than software because most Macs don't have separate RAM, separate storage devices, right? It's all sort of one thing, especially if you're on a notebook. It's all kind of one computer in there. So getting into individual components is is not as easy as it used to be, although I have some advice for that in a second. Really the best thing here, if you have a USB port that's not working, if your speaker volume isn't doing what it's supposed to, maybe it's uh, booting up like the flashing question mark, the first thing to do is, is reset the NVRAM. And you do that by having the computer off, and then you hold down Option-Command-P and R, it used to be called zapping the PRAM, so they, they've kept yeah. the same shortcuts. Yeah. It basically – it does a lot of stuff, but the way I think about it is it's, re, it's rebuilding the like, sort of like device tree. Like it, it's telling the Mac, this is all the hardware that you have and this is what you can do with it. So I've had this fix things that it honestly shouldn't seem like it could fix. You know, oh, this MacBook Pro, the right side USB ports aren't seen. Or I can't – every time I boot up my, my display – is set to the wrong resolution. Uh, the brightness, like the auto brightness doesn't work. All sorts of things, this will fix. So you hold down those buttons until the, the computer restarts a second time. It takes about 15 seconds. Release the keys, and then it will uh, it'll boot up. It'll boot up normally. And it can, it can fix, like I said, it can fix all sorts of, of odd hardware things. Uh, this is different than a safe boot, which you can do uh, by... Uh, booting the machine while you are holding down the uh, the shift key. And that basically turns off a lot of software stuff. This is sort of that for hardware. Sort of like, hey, we're just going to refresh a bunch of stuff. We're going to kind of clear the table and see uh, what's actually going on. It's the functional equivalent of pulling the plist files out of the folders. It just, yeah. the Mac starts up and um, refigures out, you know, this is the sound card. This is the graphics mm-hmm. card. I, in fact, I remember when you, uh, at MacStock, when you took that iMac apart, the first time you turned it on, it didn't work. And my heart jumped, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, don't worry about it. And then you turned it off and then you you rebooted the NVRAM or you reset it. And everything worked. And that mm-hmm. was just like, it's like, that was part of the steps. I didn't know that. I guess you always do that after you open the device up so it can kind of refine itself. Yeah. Anytime you, inst- you know, upgrade the RAM in a machine, anything like that, anytime there's a hardware change, this is a good, a good step to do. So when we did the RAM in uh, Rosemary's Mac mini, same thing, yeah. right? Like hit these buttons, just make sure everything is cool. Old Mac people, including myself, will call this like resaying the PRAM effectively it's the same thing at some point they changed the terminology because the te- the underlying technology the way these settings are stored on the machine changed but uh so resaying the pram resaying the nvram effectively the same thing it's the same shortcut older max it's, it's technically doing pram but it doesn't really it's ba- it's like a, it's effectively the same thing i and it seems like in the old days everybody would zap the pram with any problem on oh, their yeah. computer. And it felt to me like, uh, you know, like it really didn't matter. You know, it's like, it, it's not that you just open the computer up, but just for some software isn't working, we'll try zapping the PRAM. And it's like one of those things that worked one in like 20 times. Mm-hmm. So you would do it, but quite often I felt like it wasn't doing anything. Yeah, it became like Mac lore for a long time to do that. Same thing with safe boot, especially like in the classic Mac OS days, like, oh, it's an extension. 
run safe boot. It's like, well, that may fix it, but it probably won't. But whatever. Yeah, it, it's it's like the equivalent on the phone of quitting your apps. You know, to uh, yeah. Well, maybe it's not that bad, but it, it's, <laughs> it's not that kinda, bad. It, it, it's in that neighborhood. <laughs> so, so yeah, if you're seeing an odd an odd hardware issue, reset the NVRAM. Uh, I have a couple of points on specific hardware issues just that I've seen over the years. Yeah. If if you're dealing with a Mac that feels really slow, like you get the beach ball a lot, or it just takes a long time to boot up. If you're just sitting in front of a computer, it's like, this doesn't feel as fast as it should. Check, and if it has a hard drive, including a Fusion drive, my money is that that hard drive is beginning to fail. And I've gone through a rash of this recently with some clients with like 2012, 2013, 2014 iMacs with Fusion drives, yeah. or with just plain old spinning hard drives. And if it is a machine that has that, and that drive is replaceable... Uh, I always recommend going to an, uh, an SSD. It's amazing what a 2013 iMac will feel like by putting an SSD in it, especially if the hard drive has been failing. So, you know, if you come across a machine like that, it's like, it's just really slow. If it's got spinning storage, replace the spinning storage. If you're not comfortable doing it yourself, opening an iMac's a big deal. An Apple-authorized service provider very often will provide out-of-warranty SSD upgrades. And you could, you pay them whatever they want and you know that it'll be done correctly and you'll be good to go. Yeah, having watched Steven do it, I would never do it myself. It's intense, right? And and some ASPs will let you pick an SSD. I like the Samsung SSDs personally, but it's amazing what a, a new like a new life a computer could have, right? Because, I mean, if you think about historically, people buy new computers when their old one gets slow, right? Like that's just kind of what people do. Yeah. Well, if your computer is slow only because a hard drive is failing – then that's not the end of the road for a machine. Now, I'm not, look, I'm never going to tell somebody not to upgrade. I love upgrading computers, but you don't have to. And if someone's on a budget, they want to keep an older machine around, spending a few hundred dollars putting an SSD in it is way better than spending a few thousand dollars on a new iMac. Yeah, agreed. And uh, one thing I often do with family members when they're having drive-related issues is I will reboot the machine in recovery mode. You hold Mm -hmm. down Command-R. And then because you can't diagnose a drive that you're running on, if that makes sense. So right. so the disk utility is available in recovery mode and you can run a diagnostic in there and they even have a first aid button. I don't know if that's the the zapping the PRAM not really doing anything or not, but I will run first aid on it. And sometimes it seems like that helps. But if the drive is really getting slow and really having problems, that's only a Band-Aid. You need to probably replace it. Mm-hmm. And SSDs have come down in price so much that if you're gonna go through the expense of opening a machine, put a solid state drive in it. Just like, yeah, just but do it. you're you're gonna spend more money uh, on the labor than you are on the hardware. Yeah, the, so definitely get the best SSD you can afford. Why not? Uh, the other thing, just again, this is advice that is aging because most Macs don't have removable RAM. But yeah. if you're on an older machine and you're getting intermittent shutdowns or kernel panics. Reseat the RAM, run on half the RAM, see if you have a bad stick. Uh, that you know that that can happen over time, especially if a machine has like cheap third party RAM. I was looking through my my Apple Store pictures, looking at that that photo is in the show notes, and uh, there's a picture in there of an iMac, and literally the sticker on the RAM is Value RAM. It's like, mm, yeah, you shouldn't buy the cheapest thing sometimes, and it was the issue on that machine if I remember correctly. So again, hat you know. Take a stick out, see see what if it improves, reseed it. But that's advice that is uh, growing colder by the day because the only Mac 
for sale today that you can even reach the RAM is the 27-inch 5K iMac. That's it. And on the notebooks, it's been soldered for a long time, which means this is less likely to happen. But it can be, again, a simple thing that saves you a trip to an Apple store if you're on an older machine. And I used to do a lot of repair. I mean, I used to put in drives and change RAM and, you know, all the the usual suspects for friends and family. Mm -hmm. I don't do any of that stuff anymore. It's like... It's like the uh, you open up a laptop now, I feel like it like pops and it's never the same again. It's so tight in there, the way they make them. And, and two, if you're on an older machine, depending on where you are in the world, if it's older than five or seven years, Apple is not going to have the parts for it. If, so if you need a major repair, like the display goes out or the logic board fails, then maybe, you know that's probably time to buy a, a new computer at that point. But... Very often, if it's something like a, a drive or RAM, going to an Apple authorized service provider is the way to go. They can take care of it. Even though the machine's older than five or seven years, you may still get uh, more life out of it. So keep that in mind as well. Five to seven years ago is not as far back as you may remember. In fact, there's a lot of vintage Macs that were run Mac OS Catalina, which is awkward, but that's kind of how it is. Uh, this episode of the Mac Power Users is sponsored by the Omni Group and Omni Focus for iPhone, iPad, and of course, version 3 for the Mac. It's so appropriate that Omni Focus is sponsoring because I've been running around like a crazy man between two jobs the last few weeks. I took one of those jobs that I knew I shouldn't have, but I'm now really in the thick of it, so I have to keep it going. I've been doing many podcast recordings, many illegal irons in the fire, and I... Uh, I'm trying to hold it all together. And the extent that I am able to do so is because of OmniFocus and the way it helps me put it all together. OmniFocus is the task manager that just keeps on giving. Uh, So a few of the features with these new versions that I love, first it's got tags. So I make them for people, energy level, priority, location, whatever floats your boat. But it's great because it allows me to quickly grab things. I even have a tag for stickers. When a listener writes me and says they want an MPU sticker, I I put that into OmniFocus with their address. And then when I got the time, I just hit the sticker tag and I send a bunch of stickers away. Um, the forecast view now shows your tasks and calendar events in order so you can better see what's coming up and how that fits in with your daily appointments. Uh, the repeating tasks are easier than ever to set up. I mean, they just really did a great job. And of course, it's always got that really powerful review system, which as soon as I finish this big project, I'm going to be doing some serious review. I got to go through and take a good look at all the projects and where they stand once I ship this thing I'm working on. So anyway, uh, there's there's a bunch more with OmniFocus. Just go try it for yourself. Um, did you know the Omni Group has world-class support? They actually have a person with an 800 number you can call if you have any questions, and you can do a free trial of the application. To learn more, head over to the OmniFocus website and uh, let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. So let's talk about iOS devices, which are inherently more simple than Macs, right? Yeah. No iOS device has upgradable RAM. <laughs> yeah. None of them have NVRAM to reset. But there are, again, some some basics you can do to maybe uh, head off problems before going into a store. And what I, one point I would add to that is the, the system is not addressable in the way there is no keyboard maestro on iOS. So... Uh, you it's harder for the user to create problems for themselves as well, you know? Yeah, you, you, you get into less trouble uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, pretty easily. But there are some things we can do. Again, the uh, 
the adage of, hey, restart the thing. I, I've, I've seen an issue with iOS 13 that they've said they've fixed, but I had it again yesterday of my iPhone 11 Pro just – it says it has cell service, right? Like I have the little little bars up in the corner, but I have no data, right? I, I can load Safari or Slack or anything. It's like, it's like I'm in airplane mode. Bouncing, for me at least, when this has come up, bouncing the phone into airplane mode itself hasn't fixed it, although that is another good way to troubleshoot something. If you're having like Bluetooth connectivity issues – or it's not getting on your Wi-Fi, going into airplane mode and back is a nice way to sort of reset all the radios. Yeah. But I've just had to like restart my iPhone a couple of times now for this issue. And I'm hoping that it's not something wrong with my phone, but it brings it back. Because again, it's the same thing on the Mac, right? Just doing that restart can be helpful. And I would bet money, this is true for me, I reboot my Mac as, as little as I do that, it's way more frequently than I restart my iPhone normally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would bet, that the majority of the time, the only time I restart my iPhone is to install software updates. And then when you talk to somebody who is not a Mac power user, some of them don't even know how to restart their phone. It's like you ask them if they've restarted it and they're like, is that a thing? How do you do that? And it's changed over time. So if you have a phone without a home button, it's different than a phone with a home button. So I've got that in the show notes because it is uh, they've changed it and you may not may not actually know where that is. But it can be uh, a big, a big lifesaver. I agree. So you got a problem on your phone. The first thing you do is shut it down and restart it. Um, you got a problem with a specific app. You can do the same thing. You can quit the app, get into the app browser, swipe it up. That fixes it once in a while. But but the the good old restart is good. I would say too. We're saying iPhone. This is interchangeable. iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch. Like yeah. iOS in general is kind of what we're talking about. Apple TV too. I, I was having a weird thing with Apple TV after the recent update with the the YouTube app, and I just went into the menu and I pressed restart. Yes, and it cycled through, got the Apple logo, and um, then it worked fine afterwards. So you know, all that stuff works kind of the same. Yeah, re- yeah. I don't even have Apple TV as a topic, but that's about all you can do on the Apple TV is restart it, and it can definitely. Yeah. I've, again, networking issues. I've had a deal where it's. My Apple TV is hooked up over Ethernet, and it just dropped the Ethernet connection. It's like, well, I know this works, and re- restarting it helped. Yeah, we we got to talk about force quitting apps. I don't, I don't love having to talk about this, but just the other day, Verizon's like tech support Twitter account was like, quit all your apps to save battery life. Yeah, that is not how iOS works. Apps in the background get frozen. Basically, they they're kind of put on ice, and the system warms them back up to life when it needs them. That takes less energy and less memory than force quitting an app and starting it from scratch, starting it from zero. In fact, in some cases, you're actually doing quite a bit of harm. So I saw this tweet by uh, the guys who developed Twitterific. They've had some customer support issues that Twitterific isn't syncing its timeline position with the Mac. And what they found is that they wrote Twitterific to sync that information once the app was in the background and the app was never in the background because people check their tweets and then force quit the app. And so it never had time to do what it was supposed to do. Yeah. So I, I know we all have fan members. There's probably listeners out there like it's just a compulsive thing. And I get it. Like there's something very rewarding about flicking them off the top of the screen. But we don't have to do that to preserve battery life on our phones. We don't have to do that to preserve a data connection, right? These apps, they get put to sleep. They're not on the network. They're not doing things they're not supposed to do. However, 
it can be a useful tool if an app is hung, for instance. So say that um, you are trying to load a new page in Safari and the plus button just doesn't work. Or maybe you have uh, a podcast app and it's not downloading new apps. If an app is acting funny, force quitting it is a very useful troubleshooting tool. But it, is, it isn't something that we have to do all day, every day. So trying to get out of that habit, I think you'll actually find that your iPhone experience is better because apps wake up from sleep way faster than they launch from zero. And they're kind of ready to go you know, more easily. If your app is misbehaving... Or if it's the Facebook app, force quitting it is okay. <laughs> How's that for a rule? Sure. Yeah, I'm, oh, just uninstall the Facebook app and do it through mobile Safari. Yeah, I don't have it. I, I don't run it either. But the um, but it, it, I know that it used to be a battery hog. And then I just read recently somebody found a, a bug in it where the camera was running while they were running it. So uh, yeah. How does that happen, Stephen? I mean, well, honestly. Facebook says it's a bug, but. Uh, we don't have to talk about my views on Facebook, but they're not yeah. they're not positive. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's a strange bug for a it multi-billion a strange, dollar company. A strange bug. If an app is really just hosed, you can't always go and reinstall it. You know, most iOS apps yeah. store their data in iCloud or some other online account. So you may have to re-log into it and resync some stuff. But you know, if an app has just really gone off the rails, uh, reinstalling it can be helpful. I have found this to be the case on WatchOS. If I have a watchOS app that won't launch or won't update to its parent app on the iPhone, I'll go into the watch application, uninstall the watch app and reinstall it. And that will fix it 99% of the time. So that's always, that's, that's on iOS, that's about as powerful as your options are. That's sort of the nuclear option on iOS is just reinstall the program, but it can really uh, fix a lot of things, especially if you're having just, you know, issues that you can't get around other ways. What about the the hard reset of an iOS device versus a reboot? Yeah, so if, if you need to like really go and reinstall iOS, I feel like that's less needed as it used to be. I, mean, I feel like like in the early days of the iPhone. Yeah, it was pretty common. I told everyone to restore their phones all the time. Yeah. But if you if you just can't solve it any other way, and this is the thing the Genius Bar may walk you through. If you have a software issue on the phone or it's unclear if it's a hardware or a software issue, Restoring the phone is the way to to get that information, and you need to make sure you have a backup in iCloud or in iTunes on the Mac or Finder on the Mac now if you're running Catalina, I guess we have to say. You want to have that backup available, and then you can, you can reinstall iOS. The easiest way to reinstall iOS, I think, is to do it through the computer. You can actually hit the Restore iPhone button. It will... Uh, Re, it will erase the device and reinstall the latest iOS. There's also an option on iOS to uh, restore all or to reset all data and settings. And that will take all of your stuff off the phone, which is also an, a good troubleshooting step. But before you get to any of those, you've got to make sure that you have a backup of your data because your stuff will not be on that device anymore. And it's not that hard. It really isn't that hard to make sure you have a backup. Uh, you, If you have not paid Apple for a backup and you've got a lot of photos on your device, uh, pay Apple for a month just to get all your photos backed up while you're going yeah. through these problems. Because it's just, 
you, you will. That's the one way you lose pictures. You do that reset and you don't have enough cloud, iCloud storage, mm-hmm. assuming you haven't backed up your photos some other way. So right. that's something to be aware of. But so long as you're, you've got enough backup, you're going to be fine. Although it's always a pain in the neck when you reset an iOS device, because there's always little settings and things that don't come over and you have a little bit of problems for a little while. Do you do that with your new devices? Like, do you set them up from scratch or do you restore? I restore from the backup. I've done it forever. I think maybe iOS 8 or 9, somewhere in there, I started from scratch. But since then, I've just carried it forward. Same thing on the Mac. I've got stuff in my user folder, which I was digging through preparing for this, that is ancient. (laughs) That, you know, uh, because I I don't generally start from scratch. All right. Um, What about hardware with iOS? Yeah. So we talked about rebooting. That's the biggest thing. Uh, the other thing I see often is trouble charging. Sometimes this comes up as, well, I touch the cable and my phone stops charging. Or it only charges if I'm touching the cable. Yeah. Always try a different cable, a different charger, right? Especially the Apple Lightning cables wear out over time. But the Lightning port in particular is pretty bad about collecting junk. The way the Lightning port actually grips that connector, there's little ball bearings that move. It's sort of a complicated system. And look, our phones are in our pockets, they're in our purses, they're in our backpacks, and, you know, lint and debris exists in the world. And you can go in there and clean it out. I have an, a link in the show notes to a really good iMore article that kind of walks you through it. You want to be careful with this. You don't want to cause additional damage. You can always take your phone to the Apple Store and they'll do it. Uh, the iMore article recommends using toothpicks, which I think is really good because you're not going to do much damage to metal with, you know, soft, flimsy toothpicks. You can use compressed air, those sorts of things, if you're careful. Use a flashlight um, so you can see what's going on. But you may be surprised how much pocket lint is jammed up your iPhone. I I did this a couple of months ago with my sister-in-law's iPhone. They were going to go buy a new phone. And my brother just told me, hey, what phone should I buy my wife? And I was like, well, she's on like a 7 Plus. And I was like, well... What's going on? You know, I mean, yes, yeah. you can always go buy a new iPhone, but like maybe it's something we can fix. And it's like, oh, well, it's, it's charging erratically. It's like, bring it over. We cleaned it out and it's been fine ever since. So that can address a lot of charging issues. It's just cleaning out that port, checking your cable. Again, simple things you can do at home that could save you a trip in. Yeah, I, I learned that one the hard way. Brought one of my kids' phones in because it wasn't charging and the guy just looked inside with the flashlight picked out a big chunk of lint and it worked fine. And, but now I get to be a rock star at family gatherings with, uh, cause I, I, same thing. I've heard that problem two or three times from family members and take a toothpick, dig in there. Pull, mm-hmm. You pull it. It's it, cause it compresses in there as you, as you press the cable into charge every time. So it actually, it, it, it's a little difficult to get it out, but as long as you're careful, you can do that yourself. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Away. Away creates thoughtful products built for the way that modern travelers see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, and they now offer a range of travel essentials to make life on the road easier. The holidays are here. A bunch of us are traveling, and it can be a bit of a nightmare, right? You're running through airports, getting in lifts and cabs and trains and buses and boats, And Away's products are designed to work and fit together so your travel is smoother uh, for the holidays and beyond. I live in my hometown, so I don't really travel for the holidays, but I travel a lot for work. And anytime I travel for work, my Away suitcase is with me because it is the easiest way to pack with all of its great features 
and I know that it's going to stand up to whatever I throw at it. Everyone has a unique travel style, so Away offers a range of suitcases in a bunch of colors, sizes, and materials. And whatever you have to pack, gifts, comfy clothes, holiday treats, their luggage works for how you want to travel. They all come with TSA-approved combination locks to keep your belongings safe and great spinner wheels so it's easy to move a suitcase through the airport. They're designed to last a lifetime. You get a 100-day free trial on everything, plus free shipping to the U.S., Europe, Canada, and Australia. For $20 off any suitcase or bag, visit awaytravel.com slash MPU and use the code MPU during checkout. Once again, that's awaytravel.com slash MPU. And for $20 off a suitcase or bag, use the promo code MPU during checkout. Our thanks to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I want to talk about something. Apple is no longer just a computer company. They've got all these software services tying everything together, and specifically iCloud. And I think that can be just as much of a culprit of problems for people as the hardware itself. Yeah. So let's talk about troubleshooting iCloud before you go in. It's it's kind of tricky, right? Because you can't put your hands on iCloud. iCloud touches yeah. lots of things. <laughs> uh, on your systems. And, and Apple honestly doesn't give you a lot of information about what's going on. That's my real frustration with iCloud. Say that you need to like reset something on your iCloud account, you basically have to call. But again, simple things we can do at home. If something isn't syncing, so say you created a new note or you updated a contact on your phone and it's not on your iPad or not on your Mac or whatever combination, restart the device. It's always step one. Especially iOS 13 feels like it's iCloud stuff is a little rocky. Restoring the device can, can help with it. Yeah. But then check to see if iCloud knows about that content. So if I've created a new note, if it's on iCloud.com, then iCloud knows about it. And the problem is with my other devices because it hasn't picked up the change. But if I've created a note on my iPhone and it's not on iCloud.com, Something's wrong with the phone. That's where the, or with iCloud on the phone. That's the broken link between iCloud service yeah. and iCloud running on the phone. Does that, does that make sense? Like under isolating the problem. Yeah. I mean, so there's three things that can be happening. It, you know, you have the device you, you create the note on, then you've got the cloud service that syncs it, and then you've got the download to the other devices. So by checking iCloud.com, let's say you have three devices and you check iCloud.com and it's there, and it's on two devices, but not a third device, that very quickly gets you to the source of the problem. Uh, you can also see if iCloud itself is having some sort of issue. Apple has a system status page for iCloud. So if your iCloud calendars aren't syncing, you can go to this page, and if the iCloud calendar service is down, well, that's probably the issue. If the light's green, then... It's something on your end or something beyond like system-wide iCloud outage. iCloud uptime is pretty good, but there have been the occasional times where I'm seeing a problem and I load this page like, oh, it's not just me. All of iCloud is having this problem. Yeah. And I like this page too because it shows you the breadth of what iCloud handles now. There are a ton of things on this page, like things I don't even think about, like maps traffic. Map search, that sort of thing. All all sorts of issues, uh, all sorts of things. Yeah, well, I just, you know, Apple has really matured in this area of their company. Um, if you go back far enough in the Mac Power Users catalog, the joke was Apple had no idea what it was doing with cloud stuff. And mm -hmm. that's just not true anymore. I mean, there still are problems, and there are probably still other people that do it better. But 
Apple is no longer like a novice at this. The iCloud website is a secret weapon here. You can do a bunch of things at iCloud.com. You can restore deleted files, contacts, calendars, bookmarks. That's all on the account settings screen. You can look at photos and notes, restore those. You can manage iCloud files. Uh, But you can also do some other things like set up iCloud mail rules and even use Find My from the browser. So I don't know about most people. I never deal with my iCloud content on iCloud.com because I'm in front of a Mac or an iPad or iPhone. But if you run into those issues, it it has a bunch of resources. Uh, You can't restore deleted contacts from iCloud on a Mac. You have to go to the website. So be familiar with it. Be familiar with what you can do there. And it is a, a great set of tools. I, you know, I, I'm disappointed though, that you have to go to iCloud.com. It seems to me like a company like Apple, that functionality should be in a native app on iOS and on the Mac. you like restoring files is a good example. I guarantee you a lot of people listening to the show had no idea you could do that off iCloud because it's so cryptic. You've got to go to a website to restore the file. Why couldn't you just do it in the files app or the finder? And yeah. Um, they, I just feel like they, there's, there's something here that has never been brought to completion. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this stuff should be more native on the Mac. It should be more user accessible and user friendly, but nevertheless, there it is. Uh, mail rules is another good one. They have some cloud-based mail rules. They're not nearly as powerful as the on-device mail rules on Apple mail or the, the, the Gmail rules that you can make with Gmail. But there are some and like you can do cloud rules with, you know, iCloud and but why isn't that built into the mail app so you can see it and create them right on device? That's a question for the ages, my friend. Well, I mean, you can't even I mean, just to I haven't I guess I should test it with iOS 13. I haven't. But generally, at least historically, if you went to the iCloud website on an iOS device like your iPad, it would tell you you can't do that here, you know, Um you, you know, so they, they didn't even really have access to it on iOS devices. They may now with iOS 13, like I said, I haven't checked it as, as we record this, but uh, they really, you know, I, I feel like they've got the functionality, but they don't have any hooks to it or, or any easy hooks to it. But, but for the Mac power users, if you do go to iCloud.com and log in, you do open a whole host of tools that you probably didn't even know were there. So that's sort of the iCloud stuff. It's the sort of shortest segment because there's the fewest things you can do. Honestly, if you're having real iCloud issues, I would bypass the Genius Bar and I would contact Apple Care Support directly. Yeah. Geniuses don't have a lot of iCloud tools. They're probably just going to get on the phone with you. So do it at home in your PJs and just call Apple Support and uh, deal with them directly is, is my big recommendation here. And it has fixed it for me in the past. Occasionally, if I have a problem by either turning off iCloud for a specific application. One time I had a problem with contacts and I just turned off contact sync. First, I made sure I had it work all my contacts on my Mac. Then I turned off iCloud sync on all devices. Then I turned it back on with the Mac first. And then I turned it on with the other devices and it fixed it and it never came back. So you can do that by like a selective reset. They also have kind of the nuclear option where you can turn off all of iCloud. I'm really hesitant to push that button because I have a lot of data in iCloud and I don't want something to get lost. I I try not to set any of those toggles. And if you do, to say that you want to turn iCloud calendars off, it will tell you, do you want to delete your calendars from your device or do you want to leave them locally? If you leave them locally, you're going to have duplicates if you turn iCloud back on, potentially. Like, it is 
I try not to deal with any of that. Fraught with peril. There's no winning in that. Again, if you have if you're having significant iCloud issues, I'd probably call Apple Care. Yeah. All right. So so let's talk about this is not really support stuff, but it's it's a tech question I get a lot. And it's been a huge point of conversation on the MPU forums the last couple of weeks. So we wanted to address it here. What if you're in the market for a new computer, right? Maybe you've gone through this and your 2012 iMac has bit the dust or you damaged a a MacBook and it's too expensive to repair. What do you do? If you're going to buy something new, how do you prioritize what you want? Do Do you have any thoughts on this, David? Always for me, uh, you know, uh, tra- historically, I would say RAM first, but these days I would say SSD first. I, I think the problem people have more often than anything else is they run out of storage. I I agree with that. I think that if you're buying a new machine, once you, and we're not really talking about what machine you should buy. Like once you know what model you want, I agree. Uh, my priority list starts with SSD yeah. because – on none of the, none of these machines is it upgradable. It's all you know soldered in or or tied with a T two chip, and you can't really do it yourself. And you can go external, right? Like, like you and I have iMacs. We have a bunch of external drives taped to our desks or just hot glued to the back of our computers. But it's bolted uh, in. <laughs> on a notebook, you don't you don't want to do that, right? Like you don't want to yeah. carry around SSD with a MacBook Air to class. So I put my money in solid state first. And the reality is too, basically anything in Apple's line is good enough for most people, right? Even the base MacBook Air is fast enough for what most people do most of the time. And so things like GPU and CPU, I put further down the list. Well, even RAM, I mean, there have been historical periods where Apple was shipping computers with an unacceptable amount of RAM in it. But looking at the line right now, the entry level model on all computers, I think is probably good enough with RAM, but the S the storage is, is almost never good enough because we have these phones that take these massive size pictures. We shoot video. We all like media. Now it's so much more accessible, but Apple still, I don't think is there with the entry level SSD size. So, yeah, so I say SSD and then RAM. And then for me, it's a toss up between CPU and GPU. I think depending on your workload and if you're buying a machine for like, pro level stuff, you know, if you need more CPU or GPU, right? Like yeah. for what I do in audio production, the CPU is a bigger deal, but if you're doing video work or rendering 3d effects, GPU is clearly the way to go. So SSD first, and then Ram. And then honestly, after that, if you're on a limited budget, I'd spend money on Apple care before <laughs> upgrading the GPU or CPU for most people. Yeah. I, I think something to look at when you're buying a new computer is check out the benchmarks for the CPU and GPU upgrades. And you'll see that usually the increase in performance is somewhere between five and 10%. It's not like night and day. It's, it's a, it's a small bump. Um, and that may make sense. Like you said, if you're rendering audio and video files all day, getting 10% more speed will make a difference. If you're rendering a video every time you go on vacation, um, you don't need to spend that extra $300. No. Or if you're a student or you're, it's a home computer, additional CPU and GPU comes to a hit of battery life to some degree. So why, yeah. why deal with that either? Um, yeah. And honestly, if you're skimping on the SSD, but you're going to upgrade the CPU, that's, that's an alarm bell should go off because, yeah. you know, the computer's lifespan 
get short. Just like you're talking about earlier, people give up on their phones because the charging point has lint in it. People also give up on their computers because the drive runs out of space. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. Absolutely. Maybe that's why Apple is slow to. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to be that cynical. I I think that um you know SSDs are expensive, but the the, the, um, the fancy internal ones are you know that Apple's using and but even then like with the new MacBook Pro which we're going to talk about they doubled the base storage. Yeah, that, yeah that they're getting there in response to what people need. People ask about Apple Care as a human being tend to be cautious and conservative with these sorts of things, right? Like I'm not a sucker to buy like the warranty at. at Certain places, right? You go to Home Depot, like, hey, you want a warranty on your screwdriver? No, I don't. But you're spending three grand on a laptop. Three hundred dollars for the warranty is not the craziest thing in the world. Every Mac comes with a year of hardware repair, so your first year is covered if if you have a hardware failure. But you only get ninety days of technical support on the phone. Apple Care Plus for the Mac extends the coverage to three years, and you get two incidents of accidental damage for uh, $99 service fee. So they introduced on the, this on the iPhone first, and now it's on the Mac. So if you drop your MacBook Air and you break the screen or a kid you know, throws a block through it, uh, and you have AppleCare Plus, you get that $99 uh, screen repair, which is way cheaper than what the screen repair would cost otherwise. And then you get 24-7 you know, support via chat of your phone. The AppleCare Plus is something I've bought AppleCare, I think, on basically everything I've owned. I haven't used it on a lot of them, but the reality is, is these Macs get simpler and more complicated inside. Everything's on one board. They get more expensive to repair because it's not a repair. It's basically replacing the guts of the computer. And while Apple has come down on certain out-of-warranty repair costs over time, Usually, if you have one repair in those three years, AppleCare has paid for itself. So it depends on the type of person you are and, and that sort of thing. But I generally recommend at least considering AppleCare. You do have a, a window which you can buy it. You can buy it within those 90 days. So if you can't afford it when you buy the machine, but you can do it a couple of paychecks from now, consider that as well. But it's something I think at least worth uh, worth looking at. It also increases the resale value. It like does. if you're somebody who who wants to update every two years, and you go to sell a MacBook that has one year left of Apple Care on it, people will pay more for that. Yeah, because the, the Apple Care follows the computer serial number. Um, yeah, just a couple of like r- r- rounding this out. You can always see what devices are tied to your Apple ID and their warranty status at appleid.apple.com. We'll have that uh, link in the show notes. And I also want just to find the serial number of your Apple product because some people don't know where the serial numbers are. Some devices, it's really hard to get to or the text is really tiny. So uh, just a couple like rounding this out uh, links that any Mac power user, Apple power user should know about. Yeah. And the other thing I would say about Apple Care, particularly on laptops, those things, I mean, if you, like I was saying earlier, they're so densely packed with electronics in there. And you're putting it in a bag, you're carrying it around, you're opening it. It's got a physical, you know, the lid is getting lifted and closed on it how many times? I, I think laptops, and even if you're hesitant to do Apple Care, I think laptops particularly call out for it because just the beating those machines go through if you use them a lot um, quite often can result in something happening down the road. Most of us don't carry an iMac to the Starbucks, right? Like, But a laptop goes with you everywhere and especially an iPad or an iPhone, like it's, it's worth considering. What once it worked for me once I, I had the, this is a long time ago. I had the 17 inch, the battleship MacBook pro or, or I didn't know you were one of those people. 
Oh yeah, I had one. Man, over maybe before Mac Power users existed, I think. But the um, but the logic board just kept going bad, and they replaced it two or three times, and it kept going bad. And it was, you know, it had like five months left on Apple Care, so it was two and a half years old. And I said, you know, I'm just really not happy that I have to come in here every three months and get a new logic board. And that was the, apparently the magic term. And they're like, you know, if you're not happy, we'll just give you a new one. And so I got an update. You know, it was a, a newer version by two or three years. It was great, yep. you know. And, uh, but uh, I haven't needed it often. But uh, like you, you know, lawyers are classic for buying too much insurance. That's just because mm-hmm. we see everything goes wrong. I would assume someone that worked in the Genius Bar is the same when it comes to their oh, hardware. Yeah. <laughs> I spent, you know between that and the ASP and then like IT stuff years of my life dealing with broken computers every day computers yeah. break and yeah. you know I know people who have never bought apple care and they've never been burned and and if you buy often you know you upgrade every year and you don't buy apple care and you only have a repair every 5 years it comes out in your favor so you have to filter it through all that stuff but my recommendation is at least consider it so how do you buy apple care so you can buy it with the new mac uh, you have 60 days within uh, for a Mac purchase or iPhone or whatever purchase to to add it. So if you want to do Apple Care Plus uh, within the 60 days, you have to verify that the machine isn't damaged. You can do it at that in an Apple Store or online. They do like this remote diagnostic. Um, yeah. So I uh, so you have a little time if you want if you change your mind and uh, all the details. I mean it's this like a lot of details here. Go check out the Apple Care page. It, it, it explains it all really well. What about, we've mentioned a couple times during the show, Apple authorized service providers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is somebody who is authorized by Apple to make repairs, but not at an Apple store. Um, right. Do you have any f- strong feelings about using them in lieu of Apple store? If you have something... Is that a good idea, bad idea? If you have something out of warranty, I would always check, or, if, or something that's like vintage or you want to upgrade SSD... ASPs can can do can do stuff that Apple stores don't. Generally, if you have a, a paid repair, the Apple store versus the ASP, you know, they, they may be priced the same, or Apple may even be a little bit cheaper. But you may like the service you get at an AASP, or you may live someplace without an Apple store, right? And the ASP is your only option. You can find if someone is a true AASP on Apple's website, they have a listing. You can plug in your zip code or something and and see, uh, because there are repair shops that are doing Apple stuff out of warranty, but aren't actually authorized to do so. Uh, we have uh, we had one of those here for a long time, and people would go and get stuff done. It's like, well, like there's no <laughs> there's no record of this because they're not tied in with Apple system. So you want to make sure you find somebody reputable, but. You know, I've got a, a friend of mine runs one here in town still, and I take client stuff there on, on occasion that something the Apple Store can't do or the Apple Store would be more expensive on. So it's always a good alternative to to at least investigate. They they are different than an Apple Store. They can't necessarily do everything an Apple Store does, but in some cases they can do more. As I understand it, though, if they're authorized, they can get genuine Apple parts. Yes, which is that's the important. big deal. Yeah. If they're not, then and they say they can, then something's fishy. So always, yeah. if you're not familiar with the business, always check that list to make sure they're actually authorized. Because there are people out there doing shady stuff, unfortunately. 
This episode of MPU is sponsored by Squarespace. Make your next move and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace is such an easy ad to give because I'm such a fan. I use Squarespace to run MaxSparky.com. I use it to run Sparks Law or SparksESQ.com, my website for my, my law practice. And I never did that because they're sponsors. I pay them. Uh, and they just do a great job. With Squarespace, you can build a website that does whatever your next big idea is. Well, you can get your domain name from them. They've got award-winning templates. So whether you're creating an online store, whether you're going out, you know, uh, quitting your job from the man and starting your own business, you can set it up with Squarespace. You can put together a portfolio or a blog. They've got tools on their website to do anything that you want with the internet. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. They've just got it covered. And they do the hosting in addition to building the website service. So there's just one person to go to as you set things up. You don't have to worry about having different people pointing fingers at each other if there's a problem. Squarespace makes it work. One of my favorite stories about Squarespace was when we had that big storm in New York and they one of their server centers was in New York. They were literally uh, bringing up jugs of gasoline to fill up the generator to keep Squarespace running when all the power was out. I mean, these guys really care about making sure your website keeps working. They have 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to Squarespace. Squarespace.com slash MPU. That MPU part is important. It makes them know that you heard about it here on the old Mac Power users. So when you decide to sign up, use offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for us here at the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and use offer code MPU to get your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. Got new Macs, Stephen. We do. Well, I don't. I'm unsure about you, which we're going to get to. I don't know what you're talking about. There's a line in this document that says, uh, what does it say? It says, David has something to share, which is always concerning. (laughs) Before we get there. Yeah, so the 16-inch MacBook Pro, we talked about it a little bit on the roundtable because it basically had just come out as we recorded that. But they're shipping now. This is the replacement for the 15-inch MacBook Pro, and it the headline is is that it fixes the keyboard, it seems like. It, they use what is effectively the magic keyboard, that external keyboard that a lot of us use. I have one right here. Yeah. And they've adapted that for use in a laptop, and, and it, it seems like from teardowns and hands-on and things that it is basically the same keyboard. So it should be way more reliable. They also added the escape key back as a physical key, and they fixed the arrow button so you can feel them. Uh, without looking at them to understand where you are in the keyboard. So I think from the keyboard perspective alone, this is a big win. Yeah, you know, it's funny to me how all the reviews are saying, well, we got this new keyboard. We'll just have to wait and see. Hopefully it'll be better. But look, we know that these magic keyboards are rock solid. I've, I've got one on my desk. I've been known to eat lunch while I work. It's fine. I've had it for many years. It's, you know, magic keyboard is not a butterfly. It's a scissor switch that Apple knows how to make. I mean, I, I would be shocked if there's any problems with these new keyboards. So 
they've put that to rest, sort of. But but that is the legacy of the butterfly switch is that now people have to question whether Apple knows how to make a keyboard, and they will continue to do so for some time. Yeah, I mean, I think people are maybe a little hesitant after three years of or four yeah. years of sadness, but I, yeah. I I'm willing to give this machine the benefit of the doubt because clearly they've spent a lot of time on it and they've gone to a design that was already uh, trusted. Right. Yeah, so, I, I really hope it gets to the rest of the line quickly. That's the big question, right? So the the 16 inch, look, that's a pretty, I mean, a lot of maybe power users and developers like the big MacBook Pro, but out in the world, the MacBook yeah. Air and the 13 inch Pro are way more popular because a lot of people don't want a big laptop. And yeah. they're going to have another holiday season where like the MacBook Air has the old keyboard. I wish they could have done it all at once. I, I you know. I don't know what's going to happen there. I, I I really hope that there's a spring event. There's a lot of talk that there could be with, a, you know, a, an iPhone thing and maybe the iPad Pros and, hey, put these in there too of, of updating these other, these other laptops with this keyboard. I really hope that's coming because right now it's, it's – in a way, it's even harder to recommend those other machines because now that we know uh-huh. they have a fix – when they didn't yeah. have a fix, it's like, well, maybe one day they'll get to it. Well, now we know they have one, and they just haven't done it on the others yet. So that's that's really frustrating. But I'm hopeful in the next few months they'll rectify that. If I had to bet a nickel, I'd say that we're going to get a 13-inch MacBook Pro before any other thing that's going to have the new switches in it. It just makes sense that, like right now, you look on the website, and there's one with the good switch and one with the bad switch. I don't know if you call it the bad switch or, you know, you've got one with the new and one with the old. Uh, so I'd like to see that. I, I bet that's going to happen first. The MacBook Air is a little bit of a head scratcher because they just announced that relatively recently. Mm-hmm. And this is going to take, I'm sure, changes to the design of the device to put different keyboards in. Yeah. And I, I, I don't I'd know. love to know why they didn't have the, uh, maybe it just wasn't ready. Um, but, or maybe they had this in mind when they made it and it won't be a significant issue yeah. to, that's what I hope to add the new switches. Uh, either way, I, I really, but you're right. I, it makes it really hard to recommend to anybody to buy anything other than the big one right now, because you know that that is coming. Eh. So you went into the store and played with it, right? I did. So I played with the, uh, 16 inch in silver, because that's the color, the correct color for a MacBook Pro. And I have a 15-inch. I have the mid-20, or the early 2019. Hey, about this year. Yeah, the Core i9, like the big boy 15-inch. And yeah. so I'm really familiar with this form factor. This computer does not feel bigger to me, really. Yeah. It's a, a hair thicker, a hair heavier, a hair wider. For that, they've been able to put a bigger battery in it and a better cooling which I think I really hope they do to the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Honestly, I hope that the 13-inch MacBook Pro becomes a 14-inch MacBook Pro. Yeah. And they give it this new cooling and stuff because 14 inches is a great laptop size. We'll see if that happens or not. But I was impressed. The keyboard feels really good. It feels very much like the Magic Keyboard, which I use all day, every day. While I wish there was an SD card slot, I understand that's not coming back. Like It's, it's, a, it's not a rethinking of the MacBook Pro we saw. It's still Thunderbolt and touch bar and all that stuff, but it's a much improved version. And if a laptop were my primary machine, I would probably be all over this. Yeah. If you are, um, if you are used to typing on a magic keyboard, if you have an iMac, it feels just like that. I mean, I went in the store too. I played with one and, um, it's slightly less travel, but it's, um, 
it's a really good, you know, it's, it's just a solid machine. And, mm-hmm. and so, so, so I went in, I played with it. I, I used to have a 15 inch MacBook pro years ago. Yeah. Um, I really did like the screen size. I used a 13 inch for several months this year. And, um, as I talked about when I was, uh, trying to make time earlier, we're getting ready to go on vacation, but I have like usual, I've got a deal I'm working on and, oh, oh no. you know, and so I am, but it's a lot of complicated Excel and word documents. And mm-hmm. I got thinking about it. I'm like, you know what, why have I been fighting owning a laptop? You know, I think it's because I just wanted to prove I could do it with iPad only, but for the kind of stuff I'm doing and I'm going to have to work a bunch of my vacation, unfortunately, uh, I, I just said, heck with it. I bought one. I went in and bought one. So I have a laptop again. <laughs> you know, I have a reputation yeah. on some of my other shows as the person who can't control themselves. Yeah. But let's just... I know. You have two iPad Pros. You have an iMac Pro with 14 external displays. And now you've done this. I, yeah, I know. I like this I, because... I'm the model Apple customer. <laughs> it makes... Yeah, that's true. It makes me seem a little less... Uh, insane. Yeah. So, uh, did you did you just do the base entry model, the twenty three hundred? No, I, one? actually, I got the, the SSD. I, I paid the extra to get the the bigger SSD, and then I took on a a gig where I'm doing some um, Windows screencasting for somebody. Okay. So I've got to run boot camp. Yeah, and I just you need storage, I, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So I and I want to do some of it from the laptop. So, so anyway, I um, you know, I'm gonna build this into the budget for that actually. But the, um, but it's a, um, it's a nice laptop, you know, and it's like, it's good having a laptop. I, you know, I, I was really hesitant with those keyboards on the old one. Yeah. And now that they fixed it, it seemed like some barriers went down in my brain and it's going to be nice being able to use a Mac when I've got to work on this trip. And it's probably yeah. too much for somebody. I'm not going to be using it as my everyday machine, but I'm going to be using it quite a bit, I'm sure. And, It'll it'll be worth it. Well, I, I don't I don't have buyer's remorse. Good. Uh, so so you do you have the the twenty seven hundred dollar one then? Yeah, I, I bought okay. the the stock upgrade one. Okay, you know, so I it's got the I terabyte SSD and yeah, sixteen gigabytes of RAM, which I think is fine for most people. Maybe doing virtualization, I could argue for thirty two, but I think sixteen will be fine. Well, I'm not doing your parallels virtualization. Right. Yeah, I'm going to boot camp. For yeah, this so one. who cares? Yeah. Like it's it's all yeah, it's all going yeah. to Windows then. Yeah, I, I think that's a great config. I think if you need a MacBook Pro, either one of the stock configs is great. You know, you can upgrade the GPU to have twice the memory. But like you said, most of the time on the GPU and CPU upgrades, the distance the, the distance between like the two options isn't that great, really. Yeah. And um and so you could you could save the money and, and spend it elsewhere. So Well, I was looking at the benchmarks because I was thinking, well, first of all, I need it because I'm going on this trip and so I really couldn't wait for a bill to order, but I got thinking, well, that's dumb. If I'm going to buy this, I could probably go back to my friend and borrow that other one again, if, mm-hmm. for just for the, for the sake of this trip. And I could always build to order. But then I started looking like the difference between the upgraded graphics card, they had like a bunch of game benchmarks and it's like with the standard build, you're getting 62 frames per second. And with the extra one, you're getting 69. It's like, you know, an extra six frames per second, you know, not that I really do a bunch of gaming on it, but so it just didn't really seem, you know, like a good use of my money, but the, uh, I did want to get the higher, um, the higher SSD. So, 
Well, there's that. So keep us posted on that. Uh, I'm I'm curious how it's going to go for you going back to a bigger notebook. Oh, it's it's already better. I mean, I, it's not going to go. This computer is not going to go to client meetings with me. I'm still going to use the iPad for that. But mm-hmm. like, even just like I was working on it the other day, and I've got all my keyboard maestro scripts installed, and like having realistically two halves of the screen with two apps, it works fine with this size, with this 16 inch screen, with the 13 inch screen, it wasn't enough room, you know, which is one of my favorite ways to work is um, splitting the screen vertically. Mm-hmm. Have you, so one thing I, I've been thinking about is, you know, I have an iMac pro, which I really do love, but at some point it'll be time to upgrade. And while I joke about the Mac pro on this show, it's realistically probably not in the cards. Yeah. Having two Macs is easier than it's been in a long time because things like iCloud and Dropbox and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's not seamless. And for me, and same for you and probably a lot of our listeners, we have big projects, right? Like, for instance, the episode that we just uh, released with the the guest on it, the roundtable, I'm pulling up the folder here in Finder, that folder for the roundtable is 11 gigabytes, almost 12. You know, the holiday gift guide is five gigabytes. Like, yeah, I work with big projects and even on Ethernet or even in moving them across my network, it's kind of a pain to juggle that stuff. They're too big to put in Dropbox. I don't want to put Logic products on Dropbox anyways. I don't trust that. And so if I'm on my iMac Pro and then want to go somewhere to finish an edit or just even work inside because my wife's got to go somewhere and like, you know, the kids are asleep. I find myself copying big stuff across my network way more than I want to. And then when I do, my settings aren't the same, right? I just, I feel that friction. And I have been thinking about in in the future, maybe looking at a a pretty nice 16 inch MacBook Pro as my only machine and using it with an external display. That's how I worked for years. That's how a lot of people work. Yeah. And, And going back to one computer, because this MacBook Pro on paper is almost as powerful as my iMac Pro and the ways that it's not aren't really important to my workflow. Well, I would say that's not going to work for you because you do so much audio recording. The noise is what I worry about. Exactly. The the iMac Pro doesn't make any fan noise at all. And so it's just, uh, and honestly, I like all the screencasting I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to run windows and screencast windows on the laptop while I'm screencasting the Mac on the Mac Mm -hmm. and the thing I'm doing, I need both. So I need to see them at the same time. Yeah. Um, So that's the only real screencasting I'm going to be doing on this machine. Like all the field guide stuff is done on this iMac and it stays here to me. The laptop real benefit comes in is the law practice when I'm remote with stuff like that. Like when I go, I'm trying to close a deal. We've got a lot of documents is it, it's almost doable on the iPad, but it's really not that easy. And like, there's some things that Microsoft Word doesn't include on the iPad version. And so it's almost like the, the law job kind of prompted this more than the Mac Sparky job. Um, and my intention is still to do most of my screencasting and stuff sitting here at this big, beautiful iMac. And, and honestly, I'm going to do, it's not like I'm suddenly going to stop using this desktop computer, but mm-hmm. But when I do go out and I need power, I've got it now. And I spent a lot of money on it, but I guess, you know, it's the end of the year. That's that's right. That was my big buy of 2019. And um, I don't really, you know, it's funny. I, I, 
it, 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 so often making purchases like this to me, having depression era parents, it's like, it's like you torture yourself. Sure. And th- for one of the first times in my life, I really just didn't torture myself on this. I'm like, you know what? This would make a lot of sense. Next week, I want to spend as much time with my family on vacation as possible and as little time doing this thing, but I know I have to do this thing. And if I had a Mac, it would be faster. And just go get one and don't think about it, you know? And um, so I did. And I think I'll be fine. I'm going to keep it a long time and and I'm sure it'll pay for itself. Well, congrats. Um, keep us posted if, if, if new things come up. It, it, you know, it's been a very seamless thing. I, um, I did before I gave the last laptop back to my friend, I ran a time machine backup on it just for giggles because I got extra drives around. So I just did a restore from time machine uh, drive. Okay. And it was seamless. I mean, everything came over there. You know, there's a few things that need a password here and there, but overall it's been very easy. And it was a different, it was a, it was a several year old 13 inch MacBook pro to a brand new 16 inch MacBook pro, but it seemed to figure it out just fine. And uh, mm-hmm. I've put very little time in. I just started working on it. You know, I mean, I didn't, I haven't spent a lot of time like setting it up. Maybe I'll do that at some point, but I, I don't need to, cause it's kind of where I need it to be already. Cool. Well, I think that uh, I think that wraps all this up. Yeah. All right. Now you're gonna go get one. No. <laughs> Not yet. All right. It, it is the keyboard is nice, but it's it's also I really like the uh, the screen real estate. Um, if you if you try to work with two apps at one time, that extra is real estate. And Man, that's why I have the 15, right? Like, yeah, editing and recording on the road on a 13 inch just didn't cut it for me. I'm interested to see what the 14 looks like, but. The, the bigger screen, the better for the types of work that you and I do and for a lot of people do. is just It's just nice. And and also just kind of embracing the idea that this is not mm-hmm. necessarily the portable machine I take with myself everywhere. It's something I take with intentionality when I have specific projects that need it. And otherwise, the, the iPad still is there and it still works great. Okay. Well, there we go. Ask the Genius. If you like this show, let us know in the show notes. We can do future Ask the Genius shows. Maybe we'll bring some listener questions in next time. Yeah, that'd be fun. You can do that over at um, talk.macpowerusers.com in the forums. We'd love to hear about that. Uh, thank you to our sponsors today. That's our the folks over at SaneBox, Omni Group, Away, and Squarespace. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Steven is over at 512pixels.net which makes sense today on episode 512. I'm over at maxsparky.com and we'll see you next week.